there. And I want to think today about what it is to build a relational community. And at the heart of the meaning of relational is connection. It's where two or more people actually connect. How is it that we're connecting with those in our community? And uh, how do we build on that connection? And I want to use the parable of the sower. Uh, No, I don't. I want to use the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parable of the sowers. It's a great parable. Read it. Please do. Um, But the (laughs) I think it was soil, field, seed. Um, Yeah. By the way, my seeds are growing. It's so exciting. <laughs> Farmer Phil's doing a good job. Little seeds where you think, will I see you again? They are shooting up. It's very exciting. But anyway, I want to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay? It's in Luke 10. And just the first bit, I just kind of break down verse by verse, and then we'll get into the meat of the parable itself. So verse 25, if you've got your Bibles, your, your phones, it'll be up on the, the screen as well. We read this. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know, when we ask Jesus a question, especially if it's a question to test him, he doesn't always answer it in the way that we want him to or expect, but he does always give us an answer. So we're told this certain lawyer wanted to test Jesus Maybe trip him up. And I don't know about you, whether in the workplace or even family, you know, those that try to trip us up in our faith, catch us out, give us difficult questions and all of that. But you know what we see Jesus do? He doesn't even address that question. He turns it back to the truth. He says, what is written in the law? What's your reading of it? That's really helpful. If you're asked a difficult question by someone, say, well, what does it say in the Bible? Turn it back. Because you see, if we want to know the truth, and we really want to know the truth, it's found in the Word of God. We have to turn to Scripture, to the Word of God, to understand these deep truths. And at the heart of it is turning to Jesus, who is the Word, John 1, and He is the truth. Verse 27, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. So we don't have any knowledge of the background of this lawyer. Maybe he was a good man with a good heart. And his testing was just the kind of testing that we sometimes fall in ourselves, that Gideon fleece test where we we, we put it out there and we want to know whether God is true to his word um, and faithful in his protection and provision. Or maybe this man was just caught up in, with the other religious leaders, intent on bringing Jesus down, stopping his ministry from taking off. But what we see here is his answer is good and his answer is right. And you know the point is, is we we can know the truth up here. But the truth has got a journey to the heart. We can know the truth in the mind. But we have to know the truth in our heart. And Jesus gets to the heart of this. And the man's question, who is my neighbor? I guess we probably know this parable quite well. Heard it once or twice before? Yeah. 
It's, it's actually really powerful, isn't it? It speaks into so many areas of life. Social action, charitable work, charities even named after it. There have also been uh, a number of allegorical interpretations over the years. You know, going as far back as St. Augustine, he saw the Samaritan as Jesus, the one who saves uh, our sinful souls. But between the opening question, what must I do, and the final answer, go and do likewise, there's a richness of revelation. That you may have read this parable a hundred times, but there's so much more for us to understand and know. And I, I just want to touch on a part of this revelation that I sense the Holy Spirit has been saying as I've been looking at this passage. And, and look at it in relation to our community and how we build a relational community in and around us. And I, look, I want to look at the way that Jesus reveals a number of things. Firstly, that the true Israelite, the true, the true child of God, is not the priest or the Levite, but the Samaritan. Secondly, that this Samaritan embodies not so much an individual, but the church, the body of Christ. And thirdly, this love for our neighbor is about how we, the church, should have the same compassion, care, and kindness for those that God has placed around us, that we're connected to in our community, for those that we come across along the way, just as the Samaritan did. So let's read it with that in mind. Verse 30, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell amongst thieves? And this lawyer said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You know, the true Israelite, the tr child of God, is not the priest or the Levite, but the Samaritan. See, Jesus tells this lawyer that he's answered correctly. And in doing so, knowingly or unknowingly, this lawyer has actually recognized a condition, and it's a true condition, of our identity in God, which leads to our destiny into eternal life, is found not in human inheritances or generational lines, but it's found in the gift of God's grace and love that enables us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, no one race is better than another. 
No one community is greater than another. No one history or inheritance is superior to another. Sana's just landed in Heathrow. She's back from being in, on these islands in the middle of a massive great lake. Hang on a minute. We're on an island in a massive great sea. We're not better or greater or superior. In fact, racism and all that tribalism has no place in the kingdom of God. See, when it comes to love, it's the same for us all. Whether we're on a little island in the middle of a lake or a little island in the middle of the sea. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4. We belong to him because he first called us as his treasured people. Exodus 19, 1 Peter 2. We're righteous in him. In other words, we're in right relationship with God. Not because of our bloodlines, not because of our parents. Parenting helps, don't get me wrong uh, about that. But not because of that. Or our upbringing, whether we're Catholic, Protestant, or whatever it is. But because of our willingness to receive Jesus into our hearts as Lord and Savior. As John writes, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we can bear fruit that lasts into eternity. Why? Because Jesus is the vine, as we read in John 15. And we are his branches. We are in him. And apart from him, we can do nothing. And this is why Jesus reveals in this Samaritan, and the way he loves as a true Israelite, should love God and should love his neighbor. But he embodies not just an individual. He embodies the whole church. How do we know this? How do we know that Jesus is revealing this? Well, firstly, the Deuteronomy 6 citation, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, was not given to one person. It was given to a whole community. It was a command that was to be first and foremost in their heart. And then something that would flow out into the community as the people of God. And I, I, I love this from verse Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Read this passage again. We were reading it as a staff on Tuesday. It's where God commanded them to teach these commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Teach these commands diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. In other words, we should shout it out. This is not something that should be enclosed and kept within closed doors. This is something that we should celebrate and proclaim and live out and put it on our doorposts and write it on our walls and share it with our work colleagues. For us to love the Lord your God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To teach our children. To teach our grandchildren. To model it as we walk along the beaches. To talk about God's word. As we're in the shops and the supermarket. To share it with those around us. It's something for us to proclaim. 
It's a relational command that connects us all together. It's a relational command that's sourced in the one who loves relationship more than anything else. And what a difference it makes when the church community lives this command in love. But the second reason why I believe Jesus is revealing this is that everything about Jesus' teaching ministry, his healing ministry, his mission, is about glorifying the Father in heaven. You see, when the attention focuses on an individual and the great things they have done or the great things they do, the glory invariably goes to them. Social media is a classic representation of that fact. But when the attention focuses on the church, the body of Christ, and the great work she has done and she does, the glory invariably goes to God. See, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, Matthew 5, plural. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, plural. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, you are the chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, plural. See, this is the church, this is us, this is the body of Christ. And what we see in the Samaritan is the embodiment of Christ's body on earth. And what we see is the same compassion, care, and kindness he modeled on earth. This is how the church should be. This is how we should be relationally with those in our community. Compassionate, caring, and kind. Verse 33, when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, so he went to him and took care of him. Verse 35, it was out of kindness that this man covered all the costs and so much more. Let's just think about those three things. This word for compassion in the Greek, splagnizomai. What a great word. You just got to digest that. Speak splagnizomai. Splagnizomai, compassion. It actually paints a really descriptive picture, which I'm not going to paint in detail. It literally means to have your bowels yearn. You know what I mean? Your bowels yearning. (laughs) We mostly know that not in a great way. Um, But your bowels yearning. You know, when you've got that deep belly ache for someone or something. (laughs) When you're deeply moved with passion for another. See, in his ministry on earth, Jesus modeled perfectly what it is to be compassionate. In Mark 1, 41, we're told that when a leper came to him, he was moved with compassion. His belly ached. His belly ached for this man. And he stretched out his hand and he touched this leper and he said, I am willing to be cleansed. What moved him? Well, it wasn't fear of catching leprosy. It wasn't avoidance or self-interest that we see in the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Samaritan. It was compassion to see this man healed and restored. 
In Mark 8, verse 2, when Jesus had been teaching the crowds, 4,000, we read that he had compassion on the multitude because they'd been with him three days and had nothing to eat. See, what moved him? It wasn't worry as to how they would get food. It wasn't concern that this was just too much of a burden for him to carry. So many people. And by the way, he was tired from all his teaching. And by the way, the Samaritan walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a long journey. I've walked about half of it. It's called the Wadi Gelt. It's hot, it's tiring, it's in desert. It's not an easy walk. Jesus would have been tired all the teaching that he did. But he had compassion to see these crowds fed and refreshed. Again, in Luke 7, we see Jesus on his journey. We all go on to journeys, some big, some small. But on his journey this time, he came to uh, a city gate at Nain. And he had compassion on a widow who had just lost her son. Touching the coffin, raising the young man from the dead. What moved his heart? It wasn't fear of failure. It was compassion to see life restored. See, this Samaritan, who the Jews despised, reveals a compassion for this beaten man. Because this is what the love of God does in our hearts, isn't it? This is what happens when we love God as he loved us. And it flows out of our hearts to those around us including those who are hurting or bruised or broken. See, love never turns away. Love never walks by on the other side. Love connects. And along with compassion, this love for God and for neighbor also means it cares. taking care of those in our path. Taking care, which also means watching carefully what's going on in and around us. Lifting our eyes up to see what's going on. Binding the wounds, pouring on oil. It's interesting the word Samaria literally means a place of keeping watch. (laughs) This is what the church is and should be. See, we give a lot of attention within the church of keeping watch, taking care of those who come to us, and that's absolutely right. And the official word is safeguarding, that word we all love. We need to do that. But I wonder how comparable our keeping watch, our taking care, our safeguarding is to those in our community, helping them stay away from harm and hurt. You see, care is rooted in concern. Concern is dug deep into the soil of that connection to another, and all of it grows when the rains of God's love help it bear fruit because we love as he loves us. The Samaritan went out of his way, I'm just conscious of time, to show compassion and care, and what we also see is the most wonderful kindness as well. Someone once said that kindness is love in work clothes. I like that. Kindness is love in work clothes. It's showing God's love in practical ways. 
You know, a kind word of encouragement to a shop assistant. It's something, I think we said before, Heather and I are just very intentional now. Wherever we go, whoever we, like buying anything, whatever the supermarket, it's like asking them how they do. You know, it's just showing care. They're not just serving us, they're people with lives. And a lot of them probably are people with a lot of hurts as well. A little word of encouragement, thanking them, an act of kindness. An unexpected act of kindness um, to a family member, a friend, a work colleague, and even someone we don't know. I know so much of it goes on here, and I thank you for that. But actually, it's quite fun when you do it with someone you don't know. Give it a go this week. Just see what happens. A kind gesture when we're driving. How about that? (laughs) When you've been cut up. I'm being kind, everybody. I just want to let you know how much Jesus loves you. (laughs) You know, it's said that unexpected kindness is one of the most powerful things. It costs the least and is the most underrated agent of human connection, but it expresses God's love in one of the most powerful ways. See, the kindness of the Samaritan here was not only bringing this man to a place of safety where overnight just checking he was okay, but also paying the innkeeper two denarii, which is basically two days' wages, to keep looking after this man. Such kindness, reflecting God's kindness to us. And how God goes out of his way to show the most extraordinary loving kindness to us. You see, we can talk about in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. But actually the proof in the pudding is how we show kindness to those we meet, to those we pass by, and to those we live. So how do we respond to this? Well, I think we'd all agree. The notion of building a relational community from where we are sounds a great thing, and we're all up for it. This is what we want to do. But how do we do this in practice and build on all the good things that we're doing already, chat time and healing rooms and uh, pastoral visits and rendezvous and all the many things that we offer to our community? Well, I think it comes back to, number one, seeing the community as God sees it. And he sees the community as a field of good soil. That's how he sees it. And he's asking us as the church, not so much as individuals. Of course, we are individuals and we need to to do that. But not with an insular, um, individualistic mindset. But as a collective mindset, he's asking us as the church, the body of Christ. What can we do more to be that embodiment of Samaritan? What does it mean for us to do more, to be the true Israelite? The people of God who love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves and go out and make those connections with those around us. Because I believe there is more than we can do. And it's partly why our St. Matthew's Day is in September. It's not going to be St. Matthew's Day. It's a community day. We want to make connections with people in our community to show them the love of God and to reveal his grace to them. And maybe for us, as we think about it, respond as a church collectively, but also individually together. There are just three things for us to make that choice in our hearts to do. Number one, 
have the willingness to have the compassion as God has compassion on us and stop for the one in front. You know, I know we can be too busy and life is just so full on. And all of us, myself included, learning to have that compassion when it literally is there before us. Also learning to take care, to watch out, to look at what's going on in and around the places that we go and we travel. And also to shower our community with kindness. And you know when we do, people not only get to taste of the goodness of God, but it's from that place of tasting and experiencing the goodness of God that they get to discover the life that he has for them. The lawyer's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must we do? Well, I think the message is simple. Go and do likewise. Let's stand together.